This is the Requiem Metal Podcast, 1984 Crucial Years in Metal. That was Dio, the last in line album, the song Egypt. Egypt. The, the chains, chains are, are on. on. Yeah, a little, Our, uh, little history lesson there. That's right. Oh, and a, uh, you know, I don't think we've talked since uh, Mr. Ronnie James has passed, and I'm sure everybody's heard enough, but we just wanted to uh, start the show with, uh, you know. In honorary fashion to, to honor a fallen warrior and, and one of, That's right. one of the, the greatest metal vocalists of all time. Actually, one of the greatest rock vocalists, I would say, oh, of totally, all time. Totally. So, and uh, this is a, a song that sort of caught our fancy as of late. We've been rocking a lot of uh, The Last in Line out. At least I know I have, and I know Mark has a little bit as well. And um, yeah, so it seemed like a fitting way to start um, a you know, a show about 1984, you know, which is our part five, if I do believe. We've made it to the top five greatest years of, uh, crucial years of metal. Uh, I think point. so. Yeah, this <laughs> it's is been it. a while. So yeah, we've had a month hiatus or a little yeah. over that for, uh, for Death Fest and, uh, well, we had, and you had some trips. We had end of the year chaos with me for school and, you know, track stuff. And then, of course, I was in Italy and Greece and, uh, Turkey. I'll actually be leaving for Australia soon, too. So we're, we're trying to get us, get some podcasts in so we don't have to go back on the hiatus and plus we took a little time off as we always do when we go to uh, the maryland death fest which Mm -hmm. was a a tasty treat as always this year so um you know some good good highlights like pentagram and got to see autopsy and uh, yeah it was pretty unreal what was your uh did you have a favorite i mean outside seeing pentagram was pretty fantastic but then um you know we got to see entomb nirvana 2002 it's it's been over a month now since yeah. we went, so I'm trying to think of autopsy, <clears throat> the big one. The autopsy um, was huge. The, I, that was the first time I ever saw Repulsion too. It yeah, me pretty, too. It was pretty awesome. Uh, I hate God uh, was was pretty tight. You know, as were uh, Black Breath did an awesome job. 
Um, Watain had some t- sound issues, but otherwise they were uh, they were pretty entertaining. At if least you knew the records well enough, it wasn't yeah. terrible. But if this was like the first time you've ever heard the record, it would have been. Well, a wasn't wasn't a, a great time to you know to be introduced to him. And then of course uh, Converge were always there. They keep up in the ante every yeah. single time I see them. Pretty awesome. So, but um, yeah. Anyways, I'm Jason. And I'm Mark. Yeah, I don't know if we actually introduce ourselves. We're a little, a little rusty. It's been a while, so we gotta we gotta figure out how to podcast again. It's like riding a bicycle. But um, 1984. What's what's really interesting about this year, I think, of any of the years that we've done outside of maybe 85, is this is really a year where like you and I, we weren't really in the scene at all. At I was point. nine years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was I was six. You know, I was listening to Huey Lewis or something. I, I don't even know Michael Jackson, probably Thriller. You yeah, because I think that was big at this time. Um, and so, you know, from for um, us to sort of gain a historical appreciation of this year, this is obviously, you know, these are all records that have affected us, you know, throughout, not just in the year 1984. You mm-hmm. know, and I, I, I'm sure those of you who are younger out there understand kind of what we mean. Um, you know, just because we weren't really like in the metal scene at that time doesn't mean we can't appreciate a year like this. Mm-hmm. And this year is interesting from, you know, as I sort of look over the, the list and, and some of the records that we, we decided not to play. This is really like the the kind of the birth of sort of mainstream metal is is really about to sort of take place, you know, with uh, Quiet Riot and Motley Crue and all that stuff is about to surface. It's sort of the meeting of like classical metal type stuff. You know, the priests and maidens are sort of intersecting with the rise of Metallica's mm-hmm. and the Slayers and then burgeoning underneath, which we'll sort of get into a little bit later in the show. You have sort of bubbling to the surface is this whole like underground death metal, black metal and grindcore scene, you know, which yeah. are really Sodom. Really Really Frost, Bathory, yeah, you know, destruction, you know, yeah, all that stuff, and and it's all like sort of just right underneath the surface, and then later on, even the the doom metal scene kind of gets its roots laid, uh, thanks to Pittsburgh's trouble, you know, and we'll, yeah, which kind of seemed to come out of nowhere, really, yeah. Then. I mean, in the midst of all the speed that we'll be talking about, but Dio's like kind of a, a great you know earmarker to open the show up with because you know last in line is his second solo record and kind of two of his really undisputed you know undisputed masterpieces that Mm -hmm. he started his solo career off with and you know he kind of was doing a little bit of everything i mean he wasn't thrash but he certainly wasn't like classic rock either he was definitely in the metal scene and he had a metal i think a lot of the the imagery and the you know the the occult edge that he's always kind of had i think pushed him further over into that other category which kind of although he did have a a decent amount of uh, mainstream radio play but still, it was always uh, it was different than you know than uh, listen to some kind of like cock rocky kind of record. Yeah, you know? exactly. And and that's what's you know. So it's a it's an interesting record because I feel like Dio was like this guy that really was almost like in the middle of everything. You know, mm-hmm. he could be like taken by whatever camp wanted him. You know? Yeah. And uh, well, I think mutually respected by almost every genre of music. I mean, and it's it's kind of a testament to when you know everybody that came out of the woodwork to you know kind of have their thoughts and mm-hmm. recollections of Dio and how it affected them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, we've, we obviously, you know, Dio and Pete Steele and all these guys, you know, it's been kind of a really bizarre, like last month and a half for like some, you know, big, big time vocalists and big time metal figures, you know, and they were, you know, Dio, even though his, his size may have been a bit diminutive was, was sort of a larger than life figure in terms of 
his positive attitude all the time. You know, I mean, he oh, was yeah. like one How of those he treated guys. fans, and yeah. I mean, he was just like the the nicest guy in the world. Always take time, and he reminds me of, like Bruce Dickinson almost in a way. You know, Bruce Dickinson's like almost enigmatic outside of like that. He's just always like bubbly and funny and like you know happy and and stuff. And but yeah, I would know. say Dickinson's got that. He's got kind of an uncontrollable energy though. Dio's was always he was always in check. He never got overly excited. He was always really mellow too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just think of those scenes in the kitchen from the metal. <laughs> journey where they're holding the sword and stuff like that but um some of the records that came out that could be kind of fit into this uh, uh more classic metal sound or the the cock rack sound which which, which actually, sort of mentioned yeah that the, the term i don't even think really yeah came glam metal whatever you want yeah. to call it but you know you had scorpions love at first sting which you know rock me like uh rocky like a hurricane van halen's 1984 which i guess represented a, a i guess a peak for them in a certain sense he had stay hungry from twisted sister which had burn in hell and mm-hmm. some kind of big radio hits uh a favorite of mark and i slided in from white snake oh, yes that definitely is cock rock though yes, uh, yes. for sure he had the first uh Yngwie, you know rising force which for some people is a big record not not mark and i uh matt rat out of the cellar dawkins tooth and nail the first wasp the self-titled queen's right the warning armored saints march of the saints and then uh man of wars hail to england and of course motorhead no remorse which is a pretty good record you know for motorhead yeah. you know it's not motorhead is like pretty consistent there's not like there's you know, not bad really records during the era. Records. You know, no, no. Yeah, you know, so but you know, so again, nothing this is sort of pre poison, pre warrant, pre like the flood of all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, even like a record like the rats and the Dawkins and the Wasps, which, you know, they come from that LA scene, still have a little bit of a metallic edge to them. They're, they're somewhat yeah. listenable, you know, they're not laughable completely like you're gonna get in eighty six and eighty seven and stuff. So but you know where we wanted to move next is to sort of again appreciate how some of these classic uh, metal bands from the the early seventies or the seventies and the the late uh, excuse me the seventies and the early eighties are kind of starting to really hit their stride right around this point. Um, you know the the band we're going to get into next uh, is Priest, and Priest put out a record. Um, it, it was tough to f- probably follow up Screaming for Vengeance, which was you know along with British Steel kind of back to back. Well, Point of Entry is in the midst of that, but even that had yeah. any out to the highway, which is a big hit for them. You know, Priest put out Defenders of the Faith in '84, and it's almost like they didn't follow the exact trajectory that I think fans may have expected them to follow, which was going into more of a commercial direction. Mm-hmm. You know, it seemed like that's where like uh, things were kind of teetering for metal, you know, quiet riot was doing come on, feel the noise and twisted sister seemed to have hit songs. And, you know, it seemed like that's where, where people want it priests to go after uh, you've got another thing coming, you know? Yeah. And they, they put out defenders of the faith, which is one of their heavier, Records, you know, from start to finish, and it's not exactly uh, a totally you know friendly record, you know, outside well, of maybe it, Love Bites and, and a couple different things there. But yeah, I mean, it kind of shows you where they're going to go with uh, with Painkiller and how they're kind of returned back to the metallic ram it sound down and, and some of that stuff, you know. Although it's interesting <laughs> because I say the I say this about Defenders of the Faith, and then of course the very next thing that Priest is going to do in '86 is Turbo. So it's it, you know like it's almost it's kind like of a schizophrenic era. Yeah, like they they I, I feel like they wanted to kind of maintain their roots in the heavy scene and it didn't work out commercially for them and so they just totally went the complete opposite direction with turbo yeah i I don't know if it was necessarily a uh any kind of like actual 
thought that they had because i mean at this time i mean from from the early 80s up until probably like 88 89 they were selling out arenas that's true yeah i mean it could have just been like man we're sick of this let's let's yeah, try boredom i mean look at seventh son of a seventh son uh maiden they you know a lot of synth sure you know i think that was kind of like what, what's the next instrument we can adopt into the arsenal yeah, or something we've already like, done the twin okay this is a bad stuff. this is a bad decision we're gonna yeah. <laughs> we're gonna change it but i guess you know like for me and we talked about this when we did the three-part uh priest shows last summer is that you know the defenders of faith you know is one of those records that i think often gets overlooked you know doesn't get talked about very much you know yeah um, and so one of the tunes we were decided to pull off was the Sentinel. It's kind of a good representation of Priest in that uh, era. And then another, uh, what we're going to play after that is, of course, Power Slaves, Iron Maiden. And I'll let Mark kind of talk about that, you know, because you're kind of the resident Iron Maiden expert, I guess. Yeah, especially since I've last two days. That's all oh, I've yeah, listened yeah. to, like 12 hours. Yeah, yeah. Mark's doing the uh, Iron Maiden illustration for Decibel. So, and, yeah, and we should probably throw it out there that uh, as this podcast hits, people will have, uh, of course, gotten the Decibel issue that you did with the Danzig cover that you oh, yeah. illustrated. And, uh, yeah, go out and... Uh, get that in force so it doesn't become one of the low selling issues yeah 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 mark needs mark needs to do more of those kind of covers oh i cool. need yeah well i need the ego stroking as well yeah though, so exactly but, uh, that's what we're all about here on the podcast of course <laughs> obviously because we make so much validated. money and get so oh, famous yes, off yes, of this yes. podcast well so far i've only seen one disparaging comment about it oh okay out of everything so, oh really yeah, yeah okay and, and it, it doesn't doesn't even matter but <clears throat> no this is the first record with uh <clears throat> geez I haven't talked much uh, lately. It's, you know, I'm kind of saving my vocal cords. First one with uh, Mr. Nico McBrain. Is it? Okay. And I believe, so, no, I'm talking out of my ass because he was on Peace of he Mind. He was on Peace of Mind. That's what yeah. I thought. Okay. So I'm, I'm not the resident mate expert that I thought I was. <laughs> Way to go. But this, no, this was in their whirlwind era where they were basically touring for a year, recording, touring for a year, recording like nonstop. I mean, was there a bigger tour than the Power Slave tour? I feel like that was like the peak that was kind of, of like their big. Maiden. I mean, it had the Walking Eddie and I mean everything. Well, the Pyramid on the stage, yeah, bombastic. Yeah, it yeah. was it was pretty ridiculous. I think it was the biggest tour up until they did their uh, the Flight Six 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 thing, okay. where they actually had like you know sixty thousand people in an arena and stuff. And that's insane. I don't remember where that was at. Some somewhere in South America, but but the tune you decided to pick was "Back in the Village," which is I guess for some people kind of an unconventional tune because it's not one that they play live quite often. But and it's not it doesn't really have radio play. I mean, part of that had to do with the the running time of it. Yeah, but also it has a. a funny just i remember when i was living with a couple guys that didn't necessarily weren't really into metal and i this is you know probably in the this is the early 90s uh you know first living with a couple dudes and you know playing music all the time and this is i was like in a huge maiden kick at this point too and they're like this is a dance with a billy goat at the end of it when he's like uh you know the, the basically the last the closing lines of the song so that always stood out so that's all i hear now when i hear the song oh man <laughs> this is you know. Power I, I, I actually like to play this song, Power Slave. Yeah, because it's I don't know, that's, that's my of, favorite song on the record. I think is the title track. You know that yeah that in flight or Aces High. I, I'm no uh, rhyme the ancient mariner. Flight oh yeah, ancient yeah. Mariner. okay. <laughs> well, you know, and rhyme. I'm rhyme, flight of the navigator because I'm listening to a bunch of the new stuff too. Yeah, Mark's Mark's heads all scrambled with Iron Maiden. I, oh. I can attest to having listened or, or heard down in the basement where he, his art studio set up, just like like 16 straight hours of like Iron Maiden. It was just yeah, it was all Dickinson highs coming yeah. out of nowhere. So, but they've got a new record out, uh, which we haven't heard yet. Final Frontier, but I heard one track. But I actually went back and listened to some more of their uh, their last three records again. And I actually think 
Brave New World their, is the most yeah. is the most long winded of the last couple. I think Dance of Death and um, Matter of Life and Death are actually really good records. Yeah, I just listened to Matter of Life and Death yesterday, so and like production wise and everything too. But not well. to get off of that. Yeah. But I mean, it shows like how you know you can put out a seminal record in '84 and still put out fantastic stuff 25 years later. Yeah, very few bands that can do that. Very few genres can do that outside of jazz and metal. Yeah, I think the longevity of people just just doesn't last. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to get into next is kind of a couple of the classics, two of the biggies, uh, Priest and Maiden, and then we'll uh, we'll keep the other two kind of a mystery after that. So enjoy the Sentinel from Priest and Back in the Village, or uh, what is it? Back in the Dance with the Billy Goats. Dance with the Billy Goats from Iron Maiden. Stands expression. 
passionless, impassioned and alone Unmoved by his victory and the seas of death
Escape from Metallica's Ride the Lightning, and Gypsy from Merciful Fates Don't Break the Oath, and then of course we heard Iron Maiden and Judas Priest before that. What do those last two bands kind of have in common there, uh, Metallica and Merciful Fate? Well, some, some uh, geographical commonalities with drummers and singers. Oh, that's true, yeah. Uh, and, and plus just being like a huge, I think, influence on them is, is uh, you know, King Diamond's is I don't know about you know not vocally or anything, but as far as just that because King Diamond is kind of an anomaly. Well, Merciful Fate at this point mm-hmm. was kind of an anomaly in that scene where they had a lot of like real heavy metal ish, you know, British heavy metal kind of tropes, like the like vocally, but sure. just taken over the top. But musically, I think it was way more uh, it's kind of more more fierce and in your face than a lot of you know what the new wave of British heavy metal stuff was doing. Well, and it's very dark as well, you know, yeah. lyrically. Yeah, like and as just, far as like occult stuff. Even like, the tone of it, yeah. too, you know. And, and Gypsy, like, if you didn't like, if you took that song completely out of context and didn't listen to the rest of Don't Break the Oath, it, it's a brighter song, you know, mm-hmm. unlike, say, like The Oath or Dangerous Meaning or, or, you know, Desecration of Souls. I mean, those are... Well, and there's some really, they're really kind of goofy intro stuff, bits and, you know, stuff where it's almost like, you know, some kind of like excerpt of a, some seance that's, yeah, that's being yeah. done. So it's like, it's a very um, kind of evocative record as far as like really getting into that, that kind of headspace of the occult or what King Diamond thought the occult was. Or, well, yeah. And I think Melissa and Don't Break the Oath, the first two Merciful Fates had as much of an influence on thrash bands like Metallica and Slayer as it did on this like underground scene that was was sort of growing and would eventually grow into death metal and black metal mm-hmm. and stuff oh yeah like that, for sure you know? and it's because of i think the lyrically and thematic stuff and some of the ways in which they they kind of put their songs together they're you know more epic in nature mm-hmm. but not in like the iron maiden epic kind of way but it was it was a different sort of way of arranging music sometimes you know yeah because i mean i mean priest has uh, i think maiden's usually more if, if you're th- thinking of like the the feeling you get out of the songs, most Maiden stuff is fairly upbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Priest has a little bit more melancholy guitar tone once in a while, especially their '70s stuff. Yeah, but know? then you know, Fate is all over the place. Yeah. You know, it's like some kind. Of, it's almost like a uh, you know, it's like operatic more so than mm-hmm. uh, Maiden. I'd say for sure. And, and and for sure, with the thing that I think Merciful Fate brought to the table, which was interesting, is. Not to say that they're not a blues-based band, but they brought more of almost a classical element, and yeah, that, you know yeah. that's that comes from their base of operations being in, in you know Denmark. Mm-hmm. And what you always get a lot of times is with some of that type of stuff, you're bringing in more of the sort of classical elements than say the blues-based stuff, which comes from England and America more. Yeah, you know, well, so, it really comes from America. That well, yeah, and then it was stolen by the <laughs> the British in the fifties and sixties, and then it's all stolen by the white man and. Yeah. Uh, Retransposed. Yeah, exactly. And then Metallica's Ride the Lightning, of course. I mean, I, I I don't know how much we have to talk about how important this record is, but certainly, you know, I mean, it's a big, big step up from Kill 'em All. I mm-hmm. mean, Kill 'em All is pretty rough. It's got a lot of energy, a lot of heart to it. But outside of like Seek and Destroy and a couple other songs, most of the songs are pretty like short and punchy and, and pretty well, simplistic. And they didn't really have, I don't think they had their identity yet. Mm-hmm. I think this is the, the record where they kind of come into their own and figure out how. You know, okay, we're going to integrate like some of these longer, even like instrumentals and, you know, longer epic songs. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it, they almost had more of a, you know, Motorhead kind of punk aesthetic as far as like song lengths and just mm-hmm. like rapid fire. On, yeah, on I mean, Kill Kill yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, even Motor Breath kind of is almost yeah. an ode to Motorhead in, in its own <laughs> weird way. But yeah, you know, Ride the Lightning, this is a, um, I got Master Puppets first and then I went back and got Ride the Lightning and uh, I had it on tape for a long time before I found it used on CD. And 
Um, you know, this is this this album holds up pretty well. The production's a little thin on it at times in terms of the the vocal production and some of the balances of the music. Yeah. Which you've said that you've heard some of that vinyl stuff and some of the vinyl reissues address that a little bit that you've heard or, or no? Well, the Injustice for All, you can actually hear bass. It's 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 subtle, but you okay. can hear bass. You can hear the they, bass. they take the original uh, master tapes and actually tweak yeah. them a little bit. And for even sure, you pissed can... at Newstead for some reason. Like, yeah. why even have a bass player on the record, really? But. It's almost like slamming the guy's dick in the door. Yeah, I don't want to get into the the egos of Metallica and some of the poor decision making they've made, you know, post Master of Puppets. But yeah, it's it's weird that they've because you know the bass is so prominent on Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. You know, I mean, you can yeah. really hear what Burton's doing. I mean, he even solos on the bass goes really after it on Call of Cthulhu, you know, mm-hmm. which is another song given extra length. I we would have loved to have played like Call of Cthulhu or Creeping Death or something. But, but I think Escape is kind of one that I don't hear played very often. I think it's got a really as far as the this record goes the the vocal melody really stands out mm-hmm. as being it's i guess it's more uh it's more i guess pop sensibility to some degree but that really stands out plus uh snot rocket did a, co- a cover of it which is basically at the gates, at the gates. yeah uh, did a really great cover awesome. of that on, on the metal uh, militia thing yeah and i think uh what did black sun put that out i think so yeah yeah if you haven't heard that get a hold of that that's not rocket cover because it was funny as mark and i were listening to escape it's hard for us to like not hear top of screaming <laughs> and some of his uh, vocal fills and stuff but yeah and you know the, again these are two bands that uh, merciful fate and metallica they're starting to push the envelope forward for a whole new movement of, of metal that's that's really starting to arise in 1984 you know mm-hmm. and merciful fate had been there in 83 as had metallica but i feel like these are more mature efforts, more focused efforts in a certain sense. Uh, Don't Break the Oath is certainly at least, you can say, better produced, a little brighter in a sense. Mm-hmm. Melissa kind of has more of a like an evil edge to it, which works pretty well, I think. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Ride the Lightning, for a lot of people, this is their favorite Metallica record. You know, some people kind of got oversaturated with Master of Puppets, you know. That's where I came in at, so that's... I don't listen to it very often. Yeah. I'll say that, but this this actually sounded kind of refreshing. Yeah, yeah. Today. It's it's nice to sort of put it on every so often because I think everybody who is you know as big of a metal fan as, as Mark and I has gone through the Metallica phases and 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 just exhausted Metallica and so take a couple of years off, come back, put on a Metallica record. It's, and oftentimes it's, it's kind of like oh cool, you know. Like, yeah, it's hard to because they had such they had such that you know absolute shit period for a while. Mm-hmm. That I don't even want to re-explore that stuff, but like with Maiden, I could I go back and listen to B sides, and I mean, there's such I mean, I most there I don't know how many songs they have, but I mean, I have, I have every single album and most singles as well. Yeah. So I was even coming through into like you know Diana era, like you know Women in Uniform and stuff like sure. that too. Sure. So, yeah. But going back to to Metallica, it's like well, okay, I can only basically deal with these couple albums because I've heard everything so much. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's again, I'm sure you know we don't have to talk about the the influence and the impact that these guys had, but yeah, of course the thrash metal scene is is starting to fire on all cylinders. You know, uh, Voivod's War and Pain comes out this year. Anthrax the debut Fistful of Metal, which featured Dan Lochner mm-hmm. uh, before he went on to Nuclear Assault and S.O.D. and geez uh Real truth, Real truth and now he's 45 other yeah bands, we yeah. saw him play the autopsy and stuff and we should also mention 1984 before we go any further and talk more about the thrash this is the year of spinal tap and we there was a big part of us that wanted to, <laughs> to play something from spinal tap because working on a sex farm yeah so, i mean there just so many great things that that are associated with spinal tap and if you're a metal fan and you can't laugh at yourself then 
you've got some issues, I think. Oh, if, you know? if you can't watch Spinal Tap and see how absolutely true it is. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing. And so, you know, it, it was an important cultural watershed moment, I think, for metal. That, in, in a sense, like, metal started to get some, like, mainstream, like, exposure. It had been around a while at this point. So people were like, okay, this is actually going somewhere. Yes. Yeah. So, anyways, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Spinal Tap. But speaking of thrash stuff, um, you know, the the twin titans at this point um, are Metallica and Slayer. Uh, you know, Megadeth is a, still a year away from putting out Killing My Is My Business. And, you know, Exodus is sort of in the mix of all this stuff. And then, of course, Anthrax, like I said, just put out their debut, but still not with Belladonna, still not it's, quite what... It's not what we th- everybody thinks of yeah, as classic Spreading Anthrax. Disease is coming soon. But, you know, so Slayer and Metallica are really the, the two American bands that are kind of holding up that, that torch. And Slayer makes a really interesting transition this year, and this is the, the next thing we're going to get into. When they put out Show No Mercy... It was very much rooted in like new wave of heavy metal, uh, British heavy metal type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it had a little bit of merciful fate kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's it, it had a lot of those kind of elements, and then you know, but it didn't have a lot of teeth to it. You know, if if you play that record for somebody that's heard Rain and Blood. They're going to be maybe a little bit underwhelmed by Show No Mercy. Now, I love the record for its sort of nostalgic value in a sense. Yeah, I like the almost like the the grim production value. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, But what you get with the Honey in the Chapel EP, and and oftentimes people don't really talk a lot about EPs, but I've heard this mentioned several times that this is maybe the greatest metal EP of all time because it was so transitionary for for Slayer. And the three songs that are on it are absolute dynamite classics, two of which they still play live often, which Mm -hmm. is Chemical Warfare and Captor of Sin. And the title track, Haunting the Chapel, uh, just really ups the ante in terms of like cult uh, type stuff and or occult, not cult, (laughs) Uh, but like occult type subject matter, you know, anti-religious sentiment, um, and then even Lombardo's drumming is really starting to like get more advanced, and, and obviously that's where Slayer is going to be taking all this with Hellawaits and Rain of Blood and some of those type of records. And so it's it, it, it's it's a really interesting EP from that perspective, I think, because here you you definitely see a band totally making a, a really remarkable transition. And yeah. I was I was saying to Mark that the Honey in the Chapel, when they went to record this actual song, the producer was like really freaked out because of how blasphemous the lyrics were. <laughs> and I mean, you know, in 84, you know, so far we've played you. I mean, th- there hasn't been a lot of teeth to that stuff. I mean, Merciful Fate has some teeth on some of the other tracks on Don't Break the Oath, but that wasn't a big mainstream record either. And I know? think people, like, just listening to Merciful Fate, they might be a little bit more apt to laugh at them because they're so flamboyant. Mm-hmm. And Slayer was dead serious. They were pissed off, and mm-hmm. they were like, they look the part as well. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so Haunting the Chapel is, is really like this, it, it really... It's the roller coaster starting to head up for Slayer, you know. Whereas Metallica is like kind of starting to peak with Ride the Lightning and Master of Pop. You know, Slayer's kind of like going to the next extreme almost, you know. Yeah, I think Slayer they took their time and they figured out exactly what their formula is and they've kept it. And mm-hmm. it, but it's but it's a formula that's got enough room to move around that it doesn't get stale like Metallica's. You can only go so far, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because it seems like Metallica was always trying to bring in like new acoustic interludes. They were just trying to bring in a lot of other elements, and we they constantly, burned like really fast, yeah, really quick, you know? yeah. And I think you know, in a certain way, Maiden did that, but Maiden was able to like 
reinvent itself each time it kind of took its its sound you know i mean you yeah. said with seven sun and seven sun they were like well let's throw in some keyboards we haven't played with that yet you know yeah which has a decent sound but you go i think the the key to any right you know maiden record is it, it's always that steve harris you know it's centering it's gotta be rooted in something yeah. you know it feels like metallica will come up with like almost a concept for a record and it's like let's make this sound like a garage record like that piece of shit thing they put out saint anger you know <sighs> and it's like they're they're not really writing metallica songs they're trying to make like weird concepts you well, know, it's, like, it's like telling okay, go to a rich guy and, and have him write have him write a paragraph on how it feels to be poor. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's disingenuous. <laughs> yep, yep. And then we're gonna open up uh, some more songs after Slayer. Uh, we're gonna start with Destruction, and we'll leave the rest uh, Cult and Underground as uh, you know. Metal's gonna start to get a little more extreme. Let's just put it that way. And I think Slayer is a good starting point for for where that extremeness begins. So enjoy Haunting the Chapel from Slayer followed by Destruction Sentence of Death with Mad Butcher and then uh, some surprises on the way
right, that was Siege's Drop Dead with a tune called Drop Dead. That's Celtic Frost, Morbid Tales, Morbid Tales, Bathory, Sacrifice, Sodom's Witching Metal from Inside of Evil EP, and then from the Sentence of Death EP, Destruction's Mad Butcher, and of course we started with Slayer. So let's talk about uh, Destruction and Sodom real quick, and we'll kind of work our way out, but these are... Deutschland. Deutschland. Yes. Uber alles. <clears throat> well, between them and, uh, I mean, them and Creator, I think that was kind of like the core of what, mm-hmm. uh, you know, German German metal and it's weird how it, all these geographic regions had very similar kind of like you know kind of tones really to their stuff i mean sodom is more of the the down and dirty version that doesn't go for technicality yeah um and then i think creator falls right in the middle between them and destruction was pure flash yeah it had a lot of virtuoso guitar but then they're also i think uh, due to how it was recorded and subject matter and speed it didn't seem quite so flamboyant and mm-hmm. you know ooh yeah and shiny. you look you look at the cover of sentence of death and you've got three guys in in some of the most ridiculous bullet belts and um, they i think they got a deal on army surplus store yeah. or something but, but that, that's kind of the first it's iconic yeah that's kind of like the, one of the first big uses of I mean, you know, priests had leather, but the whole integration of like, okay, instead of a spiked belt, a bullet belt. What's tougher than that? Mm -hmm. What's what's tougher than a bullet? There you go. I mean, you look at that sentence of death cover and the influence that that had worldwide was was enormous. You know, a lot of other people started to ape that. That's almost a blueprint for black metal photos Mm -hmm. or any, you know, any extreme metal photos for that matter. Yeah. And then, you know, Sodom, uh, you know, in the sign of evil is kind of an introduction to, to them. And then they, the year later, they're going to put out Obsessed by Cruelty, mm-hmm. you know. And um, Sodom doesn't always get the respect that they deserve, I think, because they were so sloppy and so inconsistent sometimes. But you had great records like, you know, Persecution Mania and Agent Orange and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, and Agent Orange just got reissued and Decibel gave it a nine. So maybe they're starting to get some... Uh, I don't know, valued attention, you know? Yeah, I don't I don't know how. Well, I, Sodom's one of those bands that I don't think, as far as, like, a uh, any kind of, like, uh, financial way, they never really made, they didn't penetrate as far in or, or critical or anything. It mm-hmm. seemed like they were one of, they're similar, like, to Anvil, where I, every band was like, my God, these guys are unbelievable, but I don't know how many people actually heard it or cared. Yeah, or you know? cared about it. It's one of those kind of yeah, guys. for sure. Sodom's like a band that gets name-checked when people are, when musicians are, like, kind of talking about their influences. You know, Sodom, Destruction, Creator. You know? mm-hmm. um, and then we had Bathory, which we've spoken a lot about, but uh, this is the debut from, uh, and really the birth of, I guess, black metal, in a sense. As, well, as what kind of what we know it to be today, I yeah. think for sure. Yeah, I mean, you had Venom and stuff pr- but prior to that, yeah, but you know, model. and Sacrifice is uh, is a funny tune. That's the that's that's the ringtone that plays when Mark calls me. <laughs> so that's kind of his his, his song. So Though I think the entire first uh, Bachelor record's absolutely fantastic. It's it's something that you can't. I don't if you're not really familiar with this style of music. I don't think you can penetrate it really easily at first. I mean, it's taken me years to really kind of appreciate it more. But it's basically, it's a punk rock record with mm-hmm. uh, blasphemous vocals, mm-hmm. or bl- blasphemous lyrics. Yeah, and, and pretty crazy vocals as mm-hmm. well, you know. And so, I mean, these guys, you know, between Destruction and Sodom and Bathory, and then finally Celtic Frost, these four, well, I wouldn't say four, you can throw Creator in there as well, maybe mm-hmm. even Slayer. But I think almost all the bands that were in this set have... Even if they weren't considered extreme metal, I guess Bathory probably was, but even if they weren't considered necessarily extreme metal, their influence on extreme metal is just probably more concentrated than any group of bands that you could probably throw together. Well, yeah, yeah, you know? that's, I mean, that's, this is the, the, the well from which it sprung. Yeah, yeah. And Morbid Tales, uh, you know, Are You Morbid, which is the, the yeah. title of uh, Tom's book, right? Yeah, that's uh, obscenely expensive right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, we've tried to get a hold of it. We we hoped our public library would have it, but uh, no yeah, such right. luck. Oh, Chris is going to let me borrow it. Oh, he has it? Cool, yeah. cool. Well, He's going to sell it. I was like, well, I'll, I'll, let me read yeah, it first. Let's, okay. let's check it out. But yeah, so, you know, Celtic Frost, Bathory, I mean, again, we've talked endlessly about these bands, but you have to you have to sort of consider them when you talk about the year 1984 and the type of influence that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just on, on all scenes, Black Death, Grind. Um, and a lot of these records might not have even made it to the States yeah. at this point. It's yeah. probably, you know, because I know Bathory was brought over by, like, Combat in probably, like, 84 or 85, 85 maybe. Yeah. And and that's the nice thing about us not having grown up in this year. You yeah. know, we can look at it more from a historical standpoint and say, well, you know. Well, based I, on- yeah, not grown up with the stuff. You look back and, like, holy, this 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 much stuff came out in this year. Mm-hmm. That would, like, there had, you know, I can't imagine, like, looking back 10 years from now. And seeing this year, I don't think it's gonna. It's not gonna hold up like that. It's not know? gonna be. Yeah, I mean, these are records that truly like. What's the roots of a, of a scene that didn't genres, exist? Yeah, yeah, entire genres of metal, you know, are being birthed. And speaking of another genre that gets birthed, uh, the, that last song, which if you Siege. blink, uh, you may not have heard it. Uh, Drop dead. Well, which it's funny the siege gets um, gets I guess so much credit for for kind of starting the whole. Uh, what grindcore scene if you I want guess, to call it that you know, them in the repulsion a lot yeah but they really were basically just hardcore just a punk, punk hardcore band yeah, yeah. from boston which uh, you know at the time like the new york scene was a little bit more it would it didn't quite hit that tough guy core thing yet <laughs> but uh i think siege almost had more of the the kind of like anarcho-punk uh crust kind of elements to them as well as far but as it like, was just faster than anything that had been done before you yeah know? I yeah mean, i think like it was purely speed velocity. in between uh getting you know like the tape trading scenes and having it degrade over over time with being you know mm-hmm. shipped out to people i'm wondering if that had something to do with its sure. appeal but you get it you know guys like shane <clears throat> amberry and, and mitch dickinson and those guys kind of got a hold of that and all yeah. of a sudden whammo you get napalm death out of this you know in a yeah. bizarre way and napalm always always name checking siege and so definitely worth considering when you talk about important records from 1984 that's so. also an expensive record now yeah yeah i uh i passed it up used at new moon in the in the the like three dollar bin i, get, well, I paid 24 bucks for it yeah i, I kicked myself <laughs> for it but we're gonna end with two records that are kind of uh, unconventional and don't really fit anywhere and uh this first record syrathon goals uh um, King of the Dead is features a great cover. Master of the Pit, uh, one of my favorites. I'd but. love to play Master of the Pit. We just don't have time, <laughs> so we have to open up with Adam Smasher, which is yeah. also a, a pretty killer tune. Uh, from Colorado, I mean, again, I don't, I don't even really know how to genreify these guys. They have some Sabbath elements, some Doom elements, but then they also have guitar virtuoso. But yet, it's, they're kind of a mess. Yeah, it's a hot <laughs> mess. But yet, like everybody that listens to this, like you listen to it a couple times, you're like, this is an incredible record for 1984. It's, it's like it sounds like a, a bunch of kids that are really, really love metal, yeah. and they're just going balls out. And there's a lot of heart in it, but there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of feelings, but you can see past it. I think uh, if I heard this back in the day, I would not know what to think. Yeah, but you know, and then you read about it, and like the liner notes, uh, King Folly from Deceased writes about it, and you mm-hmm. know, like I love this record. That totally makes sense, and it's got like a great. Uh, you know, a lot of people really revere this record, and this yeah. is one that's like come up in the last six or seven months as being one of my favorite records. So, um, and again, doesn't really fit anywhere. You know, the Colorado metal scene, if you will, and uh, finally, a, a band that was truly out of step with all the stuff. Stuff we've been playing which has been remarkably uh all about velocity and speed mm-hmm. is pittsburgh's trouble and their debut record which originally was called trouble trouble and then later got uh renamed solemn nine and um you know what can you say about these guys except maybe they they kind of 
really held the very, very dim flag or dim flame of, of doom metal as Sabbath was sort of fading away with the heaven and hell Dio era. Well, and they they changed so much by yeah. then that the, this sound was, I don't think it was really being captured by many bands outside of you know. I, well, Saint Vitus put their debut out this year as well, but again, not a not. Yeah, a, well, I mean, it wasn't like a a concrete scene like you know New Wave of British heavy metal or something. It was just sure. these little you know bands probably picking up their. Uh, well, it wouldn't have been their father's Sabbath stuff, just picking up Sabbath again yeah. or something, you know? Yeah, and playing, again, very punk rock, playing against the grain, you know? Mm-hmm. What's the most punk thing you can do is play slow when everyone's playing fast, you know? And so yeah. I kind of appreciate that element to trouble. So we're going to play the title track from Solemn Nine here, uh, and Adam Smasher from Sirith on Goal. Uh, we should also mention really quick, uh, because we were talking about Siege, that this was also the year that Swans put out Cop Young God, which had a huge influence on Godflesh, a lot of the earache bands. And Conflicts Increase the Pressure came out as well. Um, Black so, Flag's My War. Yep. And uh, some the Minor Threat 7 Inches were actually put together for the first time on a CD So with the, the famous cover of... Uh, the guy, you know, the black and white photo. But, anyways, let us know what you thought about 1984. Uh, hopefully, we didn't miss any uh, any big records that that you appre- you appreciate from this era. Or if we did, let us know. But give us some feedback at requiempodcast at gmail Leave us a comment on iTunes and uh, check out the, the the website. You know, you can order art prints and things on there as well. Yeah, I'm gonna do some stuff with that pretty soon too. Good spice up the site to make it more interactive cool cool we dig it so uh for requiem metal podcast and syrith and golden trouble i am jason and i'm mark and thank you everyone for your support and enjoy adam smasher and psalm 9
Seek thee. 